0: Gang, since they opened in 2012, I've been talking about the amazing rehearsal spaces and fabulous recording studio at Space Rehearsal and Recording here in Austin. Well, gang, Space has upped their game over the last couple of years and added a couple of new factions. One is a video production studio. Space ATX has taken the major leap forward in their evolution to serve Austin's music community with their new video production department. They're now offering... Professional video production for bands, live streaming, live sessions, podcasts, and just about anything you can imagine. They've also added a creator studio. Maybe you want to take your TikTok or YouTube videos to the next level, or it's time to stop using your cell phone pics for all of your PR photos. Their newest production room is waiting for you. You can also book their in house video or photography services, or bring a freelancer to get the job done yourself. That space, rehearsal, and recording located just a few short miles south of downtown Austin. They now offer rehearsal studios, audio recording, video production, a creator studio, and more. Go to spaceatx.com to find out more. And take the talent train from Schmoesville to Pro Town with space, rehearsal, recording, and video production. Let's get down. You gotta
1: open the vault. Open my vault? Open your vault. (laughs) Once I open the vault, it ceases to be a vault. You have no choice. Leave the (laughs) vault. Your host, Johnny Gowdy. When we
0: talk all night. All right. Hello, I'm Johnny. I'm your host. Welcome to another episode of How Did I Get Here From the Vault, where we reach back into our vault of well over a thousand episodes. Pull one out, shine it up, and re-release it for you just in case you missed it or in case you want to hear it again. Gang, today is a really special show. We go back to episode 1200 with legendary bass player and fellow Cuban, Rudy Sarzo from Ro- Ozzy Osbourne, Quiet Riot, White Snake, Blue Oyster Cult, The Guess Who, and so many other bands. This is insane. This uh, show was originally released on uh, September 22nd, 2022. I have a two hour Zoom conversation with this legend of the bass, like insane. I it was a mind-blowing thing. You know gang, it's a it's the 40th anniversary of Metal Health, the Quiet Riot wet record which was uh which was the very first number one heavy metal record ever. They opened the doors for all the other bands to come through and, and kind of cross over into the mainstream culture. And uh and and Rudy Sarzo was part of all of that. We have a great great conversation about that. We have a conversation uh, a great conversation about moving to the US from Cuba. About uh, the music scene of the early '70s in Miami, where he he was a fan of this guy Carlos Angulo, who is a great friend of my dad's, and uh, ended up playing with my dad later. But in the early '70s, he was in a band that 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 Rudy used to follow around and go see all the time. We have a great conversation about that's a nice little surprise in our combo. We also have uh, have a, com- a great conversation about Quiet Riot. Uh, about his time with Ozzy about losing his friend Randy Rhodes uh, about about playing with all of the different bands that he plays with about his time in Whitesnake I mean he was in all these bands during like the peak of their thing like Ozzy's first thing after touring after his second record you know 1981, 1982, this dude was on tour with Ozzy Osbourne. 1983, he's with Quiet Riot when they hit number one as the first metal record. Uh, when you hear the song, Here I Go Again on My Own, that's a fucking Rudy on the bass, man. And it just goes on from there. The guy is just unstoppable. He, ha- he, he has, does all of this great work, nonprofit work for dogs and stuff, which we, we have in common. And, uh, I've always been a huge fan. He's always been a big, a big, big inspiration for me. And as I said, this conversation is two hours long, and so we go we go through all the music stuff, we go through all of the bass stuff, we go through all of the uh, the growing up stuff, and but we also get the things where he understands religion through quantum physics, <laughs> all of this crazy shit. I mean, just like crazy stuff with this legend, and it's fantastic. I had such a good time talking to him. So, uh, without further ado, gang, uh, from episode twelve hundred, this is. Legendary bass player Rudy Sarzo. Let's get down.
2: When I met Seal, he was in he was in the cracks. He was he just came off the heels of having that hit with a Adamski.
0: We just stood off to the side and watched the puppets, okay. you know, mime to our our playing okay. right and sing.
1: I'm a fucking crazy
2: bitch. I drink like a poor person. The,
1: it, it was anarchy. She goes, I very much enjoyed your program, but tell me, can you play that song, Redneck Mother? <laughs> And I kind of, like, I always, like, flourish in awkward situations, so I've somewhat enjoyed all of this. Yeah. And if everybody wants to get on the whole Bible thing, it's like, hey, go read it.
3: It was never a big deal here to be a girl.
1: He he was a special, special being, for sure. Because I'm the first female Hispanic to make it on the country billboard charts. Really? It's just kind of trying to not be afraid to be out there anymore. Then they'd move all the furniture and fire up the hi-fi with Ray Price and drink and party and dance in the living room all night on the weekends. Sometimes I wonder, I'm like, where is this going? Whatever, just keep going, you'll find out later.
0: I was banned from going to shows when I was like, young, younger because my parents hate rock and roll.
1: And then I had, you know, really intense anxiety, just general anxiety.
2: It's so intelligent. It's like the best music history and just music lesson you'll ever get in your life.
1: How did I get here from the vault?
2: at home. Yeah. In the Los Angeles County. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Where are you?
0: I am in Austin, Texas. Ah. Yeah.
2: Love it. Love it there. Yeah? Yeah. I used to I used to be in a band called uh, The Guest 2 before we turned to quiet right? right. Are we rolling? Or yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm always rolling, man.
2: Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to do like an intro.
0: Uh, I do that without you. Oh, maybe that was me. I hope yeah, but, and then okay, and then yeah. there's music yeah. that plays, and then we just come in talking, and it's very cool. You you have a podcast?
2: Maybe. Well, it's it's a radio show. It's a only radio show. It's uh, yeah, only because it it airs like a, like traditional radio, right.
0: right? But what about the you know, dash on podcast times?
2: That yeah, I I I I couldn't do both. I just. I don't have time. Of course, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I you know, I, I, I've i been doing the six degrees of SARS. So first it started with the Dash podcast and then six degrees of SARS. So I did that right before the, uh, the pandemic around 2019, 2018. And then the pandemic happened and it's like everybody became available and we were all at home. So it's like, OK, I got plenty of time. I'm going to like. Basically, do a bunch of interviews and then, you know, on Six Degrees of Sarso, broadcast them. Whenever you know, uh, the uh, uh, I I have a a producer who happens to be the CEO of uh, of uh, Manchester City Rock Radio, which right. is where the uh, the show is on. Right. And uh, he knows his business. He's been on radio forever, so I always took his lead as far as. When to release the shows, you know, and he also puts together the playlist according to our guests. Right. So, uh, so you know, so yeah, I, there were there were a lot of people available. Everybody was home. Everybody needed to communicate somehow, some way, reach out to the world, and, uh, and there were a lot of people available for for you know for podcasts. I became available for a lot of podcasts. Yeah. And uh, but now we're we're back to business, and it's and it's like I don't know, you know. I think it's a combination of both the uh, the audience and the bands trying to make up for lost time. I know people that go to concerts more today this now then than they, they used to be for the pandemic, right? You know,
0: yeah.
2: So uh, it's a combination of a lot of factors, and my time has become very very limited.
0: Right. I'm, I'm a musician as mm-hmm. well and I've noticed that, that definitely, I mean, last year there was some tentativeness to the audiences because I, I, I know uh, with the resurgence of like Delta and then when the, when the Omicron came back, that kind of killed a couple of things, at least in my world. But like this last weekend, I played a couple of sold out shows with audiences that were like freaking out. Like they were, it was like, you know, like the <laughs> like the old days, like not a lot of phones, you know what I mean? Like people were there and they were oh, engaged. And in the
2: moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You-, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the the whole deal with phones is to me, I see that as a, you know, it could go either way. Because uh, what happens is now the photos and videos that, that are captured by the audience from the audience point of view. And I'm not talking about the quality, but just the content itself. Yeah. It, uh, it's great marketing it is. to show, first of all, first of all, you know how 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 wonderful the audience was, and how the band was playing, and and the venue itself, and it's 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 multi multi layer marketing right there. You know, it's not just about uh, you know we're promoting this band or marketing this band. No, I think it's more about the experience itself or right. being in the audience watching this uh this event
0: right right you're right i i actually watched quite a few videos of your of your most recent shows with uh with quiet riot mm-hmm. on youtube man i gotta tell you 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 mm-hmm. are uh there's like an agelessness to you you know there's uh your mm-hmm. your 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 physical body is not that of a man your age the way that you move around the stage i mean it's not it's not like it was in the early 80s obviously Cause you'd hurt yourself, but but your physicality is like you're playing with your base on your head.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've I got a couple of tricks that in the last 41 years I <laughs> I, I was I, w- I was motivated to do. Yeah, and, uh, and playing playing with the base of my head is definitely one of them. Uh, just because I can't. Just because I can't. I got a very flat head. So I so going to take advantage of that. May I interrupt yeah. you
0: for just one second? I, I went back. There was, sure. a, there was an Aussie concert that was on when I was in junior high that came on MTV. It's where yeah. he's wearing the blue tights and the red shirt. And Brad Gillis is on yeah. guitar. It's after Randy had passed. Yeah. Now, were you in that MTV concert? I have to say this because I have to ask if it was you because I watched that thing last night and I was like, he is moving so fast. His head is going up and down and to the side so fast. I could never actually tell if it was still you in the band at that point. It's still me. I could tell by the hair, but I just never saw the face.
2: Yeah. Well, this is what happened. Uh, Obviously, that was let's say I, I that was in June because that was the last show that we did in the continental USA for the Diary of a Madman tour, which was the end of June. Right, and and Randy had passed away March, April, May, June, uh, three and a half months prior to that show. So, the only way that you know everybody dealt with Randy's passing in in, in different ways. And, but we all had one thing in common. We had to get up on stage and play without him with everything else, reminding us about him. So, uh, my way of doing it was to basically ignore anything around me, put my head down and headbang, and, and survive the moment. That was my way of surviving. Um, I'm talking about 41 years ago. I got different tools that I know how to deal with that right now and what, and find out what it actually means to do that. Like I do that now. I mean, I, when I go on stage with quiet riot, it's not just being back home. It's to celebrate the legacy of the band that with me starts in 1978 when I joined that version of the Randy Rose version of quiet riot, but also the memory of Frankie Bernelli, Kevin DeBro, and, and Randy Rhodes. Uh, I couldn't do that decades ago because I just did not know the, the, the responsibility that we have, the ones who are left behind to do that for those who have gone, they who have passed. It's our responsibility to keep their music alive, our music alive. Uh, but I did not know how to do that 41 years ago. I didn't even know that that was an option or that it existed or it was a responsibility. I All I knew is that I was in pain. And so was everybody else in, you know, in the band or connected with the band that happened to be there when, when the crash happened. And we had, we, you know, we didn't have counseling or, or people coming in to talk to us, which is, you know, we just kept going, you know, yeah. And uh, so that is the outcome of how I fe- felt emotional uh, every night. And as a matter of fact, that video when I actually saw myself like that became a reference as to my reality that I, I re- my realization that I had to leave Aussie and move on in order for me to find my joy of playing once again. See, and you put it so well when you said you didn't even record you couldn't even tell it was me. Yeah, that it was me, but it wasn't me or it was me trying to hide my emotions from everybody else in the audience or how I felt. You know, so because the show must go on. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, I and uh,
0: yeah. I oh, was sorry, I was just going to say, uh, I got this, I think no, no. I think in like 2014 off the rails and read it um, and uh, was really just moved. I read it again over the last couple of weeks and just so, I was moved by a couple of things. Your your clarity during that time is almost like if you can remember the 80s, you weren't there, but you were there and you're like one of the only guys that probably remembers it as well as you do.
2: Well, the 80s is really... Uh, uh, personally, it's, it's a frequency, right? It's an emotion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what I do, because you mentioned that, you know, me going on stage, if I'm going to go home to my or to Michael, co- to where I was part of a collective consciousness, correct? When I first joined choir riot in 1978, we had one Collective consciousness, which meant that uh, we all felt exactly the same thing about what we were doing and trying to achieve, which was to get a record deal.
3: Right, right, right.
2: And, and you know, do this, our our life work, you know, being in quiet right. Nothing else mattered. We never talked about religion. We never talked about politics. We never talked about who was With who, you know, girl wives You know, but girlfriends and things like that It was all about the music, focus How we're going to take this to keep it moving forward And at a time Where for our type of band In the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles In in 1978 With the With uh, with all of the Up and coming New wave and punk bands On the scene, which is what the Record companies were focusing on radio was focusing on uh it was really it was beyond a challenge beyond a challenge because that like, to be challenges that you can win this no it was there's no way we were gonna get signed you know when all the all the record companies were looking for bands like Devo or the knack or or blondie it's, or it's, you know whatever yeah, and we were nothing like that it
0: seems yeah. like bands from los angeles like the knack loomed really heavily over everyone just because that record was so huge
2: oh yeah, yeah. absolutely that yeah. was kind of like the uh the never mind of the, of the <laughs> new, wave. new yeah, wave yeah scene. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah whereas metal health was the never mind of the of the 80s sunset yeah. strip bands you know yeah so yeah next year is gonna be 40 years well that's uh, I was metal gonna... health
0: yeah I was going to ask that is that um and i'm sorry if I, i'm I'm gonna try really hard to stay back because that uh, doing these interviews over zoom is kind of a pain in the ass you always end up like stepping on someone when you're trying to 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 get a, a follow up question in um, i you you were talking a little bit about that 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 uh that MTV concert that I saw like back in the day and and loved and they took a couple of videos I think the crazy train was was a video from that like he had a shirt off so he didn't have the red shirt on anymore He was just wearing the the uh, the blue pants um, but uh at that time when when you Can you can you tell me a little bit about your leaving ozzy's band? Uh, because things did get out of control and there's a lot of stuff that like in your book blew my mind like uh there's a thing that you actually said you thought that hotels started making ice machines open from the front instead of from the top because Ozzy would, would shit in those machines and shit in people's shoes. I mean just that level of insanity is a little difficult to like live with.
2: Yeah. I you know but that happened that was that was that was pranks that Ozzy pulled that would carry over from his days in Black Sabbath. That had nothing Really, to do with him going solo or the pressure of Randy having passed or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> it was just, it was, you know, playing, especially back in the late 70s, early 80s with British musicians was a whole different experience than playing with your local California, Los Angeles musician. You know,
0: because in what way?
2: What happens is, Oh, very simple. Uh, bands like Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, The Who, The Stones, even The Beatles—they tour more away from home than they did at home. Meaning the exactly. UK. More, yeah. So when you have a massive US tour, remember UK is an island. The United States, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You, and when you tour the United States in those days, you also play Canada. You know, even though it might be border, but right. still you play there too. So it's it's, right. it's a long tour, you know. So these guys, they just, you know, they they're just trying to like entertain themselves in an era with no social media, no no internet, you know, or any of that we okay, what, I was talking about this with my wife yesterday, who uh, we've been together since 1981, going back to my Aussie days, and we were reminiscing about what we had on tour with us to keep us entertained, which was basically the same 20 VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. if you kids out there know what I'm talking about, but Google it, or watch yeah. Stranger Things. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, so, you know, we had that And then we're, let's say you run into another band on, on, a, on a truck stop And you say, hey, you want to swap some videos Some VHS sure. so They've been watching the same 20 VHS tapes yeah. For the last six weeks yeah, So yeah. we will do that and exchange, you know And our video games Were actually, our first video game Was an Atari uh, Oh no, Intellivision Which oh, yeah. was like the one with yeah, yeah. like yeah, I had like the numbers on it, the, the high end one. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. in television, and it was basically Matchstick Man, little Matchstick <laughs> yeah, Man. Yeah, I had it television, running across the screen, kicking like a little like a pong. Remember pong? Yeah, of course, of course. Pong, you know that? Yeah, kicking that across the screen, and it was like we were so excited about this. It was like you know, I remember getting up in the morning with sore thumbs going like, what happened to me? Oh yeah, because I played <laughs> in television for like four hours before I went to sleep. And it, and it, it didn't have a joystick. It had, right, like, had a a, like a disc. Yeah, you had to push it with your disc, thumb. And you felt like, yeah, oh, yeah, it, it's crazy. So yeah, that was our lifestyle. So, you know, so whenever there was an opportunity to pull a prank on somebody or, or whether in your band or the other band, you know, that you were touring with or the crew. Uh, you do it just to keep your sanity, you know, just to entertain yourself.
0: Yeah, it's interesting yeah. though because you know at the beginning of the book there there I mean there's there's an innocence to you throughout the book because you didn't change that much, but there was so mm-hmm. you were uh, there was mm-hmm. there was this level of gratitude for those guys, uh, mm-hmm. kind of bringing you out of sleeping yeah. on Kevin Dubrow's uh, floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah. and being yeah. in the yeah. game, I, you so know, to speak. I, he just brought something that nobody else has brought up and just made me think about it. I'm wiser, but I'm still as innocent. Yeah. There, there is because that. You, you have to, yeah, yeah. You have to maintain that because otherwise you, you miss out on the wonder of your experience as you go through life and you stop growing. So it, the only way to really grow spiritually mainly, which is my, my, you know, that's my focus in life about it. You know, everything, if you have a, 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 if you're moving in the right direction, following, you know, what I got to learn with the term God's will, right. you know, you have, you have free will, actually, free will, right. free will. Right. And, and, uh, you know, dealing with that because I'm going, okay, there's God's will. Because, you know, I grew up Catholic, and I, some a lot of times, especially when, when I'm talking with my mom, you know, we'll, we'll say something, and then we'll say, end it with God willing.
0: Right. See, the okay, you know, is what you say.
2: Yeah, yeah, so it's like, okay, you got free will, but you got God's will. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. What is that? It's kind of like, like you know, contradicting itself, basically, but it's not. Right. Really. and And, and it's... On my spiritual quest i i found the answers or at least a perception that i can actually embrace right you know the free will god god will uh conflicting but it's not it's really more i mean i can i can put it in in a very short sentence (laughs) before it gets too late Uh, basically is you have the free will to do whatever you want or find what what god will is you know and some people you know we I grew up Catholic I grew up surrounded by life like sized saints me in too my grandmothers yeah yeah house, yeah you know, I'm Cuban as well you know,
0: yeah
2: so, yeah yeah oh yeah okay okay yeah, yeah. so you know what it's, it's like you open at the door to your grandmother <laughs> you're a child <laughs> and you're looking up and behind her is Jesus on the cross suffering yeah <laughs> There's a, hi hi grandma Yeah, yeah, you're like scared to death at the same time, you know, so, so, you know, you know, we, we Catholics or, you know, most of the Christians, uh, we've been raised with the imagery of a Renaissance artist depiction or even the person that hired this artist depiction of what religious figures look like. Right. Which. You know, uh, from you know, from reading the Bible every day for over forty-five years, it is the one of the themes is that God, nobody has seen God, right? You know, and yeah. I gotta tell you, there was a lot of stuff on the end of and the Bible that I read over and over again that I could never wrap my head around until. You know, we entered the pandemic phase of, hu- of the human, in the history of the, of humankind, and we had two choices. We can either just, you know, try to improve ourselves because now we got time to reset, or we can just waste it away. And I was not about to waste it away. I was about to go deeper into getting answers because I've always had questions as a kid, even when I was going to, you know, to catechism school and stuff like that, you know, to get my communion and, and I had a lot of questions. And now, now that I have a, a resource such as YouTube yeah to dive in and get specific topics and it, it's, it's a rabbit hole. It's a never ending rabbit hole, which is really, it's fractal. It's like you split something, you get an answer, you split it, you go in deeper you get another it, it just creates two questions right if you actually get an answer you get two questions out of that then you go to the next level to answer those questions it's just fractal before you know it, you're expanding Correct. into all these different the, the rabbit hole gets deeper and wider you know and so i i i'm now you know people ask me so you know what do you do to entertain myself and I really do not have time to entertain myself because I'm very busy uh, with my family, with, you know, with Quiet Riot, expanding my musical vocabulary and also my spirituality. And, and I find quantum physics to be the one of the best resources for me to really understand my spirituality.
0: Really? I've heard that before. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I do I don't. I yeah. don't understand it as clearly as most people do, but I, 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 I. It makes sense, kind of, to me. But I've heard that before.
2: Well, it's to me. I think it's the journey, because a, a lot of quantum uh, physicists will tell you, we. If you think you understand quantum physics, you don't understand quantum yeah. physics, which is the same every, as life, right? It, it, yeah. Well, it, again, it's going back to the splitting that fractal, right? And. Dividing it into two and realizing that there's more to it. You get deeper into it. It's never ending. You know, but there is a, a source where all of this comes from, which is called the, the quantum field. It has many names, the divine field and everything. It's, because this is where, where science meets spirituality. Yeah. And, it's not, and again, you got that two fractal becoming one now because right. it's the quantum field the source you know and the duality of things i was i was watching in a, a, a documentary and and, and may i add not everything i watch on youtube do i take as the gospel truth or that my perception of who i am uh, my perception from being who i am today correct it's, it might not be ready ready for that or I have created so many questions that it goes beyond the realm of like, I think I'm going to go down this rabbit hole and get learn more about this. It just becomes like, okay, I might not be ready for this. And and, it, and and if I cannot move at a certain pace with knowledge and embracing that knowledge, I I become aware that I'm not ready for it yet, if ever, or it might not be the path that I want to take. So I just kind of like step back and go back to where I just came from. <laughs> that led me to this, to this place yeah, right here.
0: Okay. Um, So that you're basically, that's, that's the answer for <laughs> that you left Aussie because y- it was God's will and you kind of saw the place that you were at and it was time to change courses or is that?
2: Well, see, if Sorry. to I, I I'm not gonna, no no I, I no no I you know that that's an interesting perception that you can summarize it by saying that. But if I was going to tell you exactly what my emotion was of me leaving Aussie is because I needed to find the joy of playing again. That by watching that video that you saw recently Correct. showed me that I had lost the joy of playing.
0: Yeah. So. Then when I watched the Us Festival, which took place like a mm-hmm. year later, there's,
2: there's... that even that. It takes half a year. Yeah. That, okay, so we're talking from June to the Us Festival being April, May. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. oh wow. Okay, yeah, so yeah, that was 83? Of, of, 83 Us Festival, and what you saw with Brad Gillis uh-huh. and Tommy Aldrich and Ozzy, that was 82. Okay, okay. Months, within months, right. within months, yeah.
0: Um, so yeah. that you were saying that that next year is the, is the anniversary. That's I was is that I know that Frankie Benali, he did he ask you to continue Quiet Riot?
2: Yes. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. He left that re- request. With his widow, Regina.
0: OK. Yeah.
2: Um. Was, uh, so you uh, have to remember, Frankie, right before he passed. I would get together with him. I saw him the day before he passed and the day, hours before he passed. Regina made it possible that I was able to come into the hospital. August 20th, 2020, vaccines were not even- Right. Mostly available at that time yet. I hadn't had my vaccine and she was she was able to talk the people at the hospital, the administration to uh, to let me in for Frankie's final hours. And the day before, I was at his house. Uh, he was in hospice at his home, and I was there with him. But even though we were in the same room, body, our bodies, he was not coherent yeah. to talk because he was on the morphine drip. Right, right.
0: Um. So the. With the fortieth anniversary and stuff, are you gonna you guys are you're gonna continue touring? Like you've got this is gonna this show's gonna come out on Friday. This weekend you're playing the Rocklahoma Festival, you're playing at Afton Oklahoma, you guys are continuing to keep on playing. Next year is there gonna be a fortieth anniversary of Metal Health Tour? Of course.
2: Yeah. This, <laughs> this year we actually we're actually celebrating the making because the making of it has its own story.
0: Well, you wanna you get know, into that a little bit? I would love to hear about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if, <laughs> okay, the evolution of, of, of that record really started when Randy Rhodes left Quiet Riot to join Ozzy in 1979. Okay. Uh, soon, soon after that, Kevin put his own, own band right. called Bro. Right. Quiet right. Riot stopped, ceased, that brand Quiet Riot ceased to exist at that time. And Kevin had called the band Bros So he could have like all these different revolving. That's a revolving door of different musicians coming in right now. Uh, because everybody was on survival mode. Everybody of our genre. we trying to survive what, what the music industry in Los Angeles predicted as, the end of our music, rock, you know, everything, the future was new wave and punk. It was, it was short lived though. Just like, just, just like everything else, but that was the future, you know? And I got to add that, that energy revitalized the music scene, rock, the rock music scene, it really affected us. I looked at rock and roll completely different, you know, coming from the sixties, starting out in the sixties, you know, you have the Beatles who first you heard them and you went like, Oh, this sounds simple. You know, we can do this. Right, oh, I right. can play like Paul McCartney. Just, just give me a couple of years. I'll get it. You know, 60 years later, I'm trying, I'm still trying <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> i wasn't doing that. You know, it's 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 it's,
0: yeah. a, it's amazing the lifetime of, i'm 53 and i've been playing like since i was like 13 and and it's the uh. same thing there's there's a lifetime of joy with these 12 notes like a lifetime oh, yeah. of joy yeah. with 12 notes <laughs> like
2: yeah yeah it's amazing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah i mean i want it i want I want to come back to this okay. about the soft the, uh, the, the notes. And uh, so, you know, so yeah, so we, you know, here we are, we're playing at the same clubs, right. and our energy, our our performance perception of what was cool pre-punk and new wave was kind of like, you know, let's say you have coin, a very regal, pretty mercury, and you know, and maybe the guitar player just standing there and looking like really awesome, you know, like Brian May stuff yeah. like that, or Bowie, you know, being being uh, uh, androgynous, yeah. you know, in his performance and his appearance and, and the music and even the vocal styling. You know, when when Bowie was trying to be androgynous, he sang very high pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then and then when he reinvented himself as the Thin White Duke. Started singing lower Yeah You know And Because that was the character He couldn't go out Of the thin white duke And Right Right And sing like, like Zig Stardust Right It just It, it wasn't going to work Yeah You know yeah. So you know We were really influenced By all of that All those dynamics You know But A lot of it There was a lot of Finesse because you were talking about an era of the Beatles within three or four years go- going from the simplicity of Love Me Do to I Am the Walrus." Yeah. Total, a sonic experience. And it's so complex that you couldn't even, how do you put that together today? I mean, it was, it's a masterpiece. And even if you did, you're never going to out <laughs> outperform the original version of it. You know? Of course. So, you know, that was how my generation as musicians we were raised. We were raised on excellence. Not only excellence of composers and performers, but also producers. Or uh, us listening to, to a record with headphones was was an experience because you're it immersive in the experience of music. Yeah. You know, it was like you close your eyes and it's it's there's there's you visualize this yeah. epic. Yes you know, uh for about three, you know, this epic movie that lasts, you know, less than three minutes. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so we went through that and then it was next to the next level, which was now you take rock musicians, put them together with jazz musicians, and bring up the excellence. Right. You know, right. I mean if you if you ever listen to Bitches Brew, oh, yeah. that's the cradle of, of fusion. So many there was the splinter groups or duos. That came out of that session You know, you have Mahavishnu Orchestra With John McLaughlin Bill right. and Billy Cobham Coming out of Texas Crew You have Weather Report with Wayne Shorter Who was previously a member of the Miles Davis Band And Zawinol played on that You know uh, You have Ch- uh, Chick Corea Return to Forever You know, so there were so many splinters That was kind of, like, you know, here you got The, the, the Prog Rock or, or Fusion, Fusion Rock right, right, Then Prog Rock comes in you know, bands like, yes, numbers like the Palmer, Jethro Tull, you Early know, Genesis. Genesis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All of that. Right. So. And let's not forget Led Zeppelin and The Who. And, of course. Know, all those great yeah. The bands, giant you know? bands. Yeah. And, and so our levels of us thinking in order for us to make it, we're not going to get signed unless we are this good. Correct. This good. Could yeah. be, it could be humble pie. Right. And yes, next to each other, but they both they were excellent in their own uh, musical genre, right? Yes. So that we spent all that time honing in on our, our musicianship and performance, and then here comes punk. <laughs> it just wipes everything the whole out.
0: slate clean. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, slate clean, flushing of the toilet, basically. <laughs> the way I like that. But the way I, I, but, but, but one thing that punk had was the attitude, the energy that if you're standing, if you're playing, let's say, and yes, you're not moving around.
0: No, you you're got, just, a, like you got a lot to think about. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, you got a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah, and you're really busy. <laughs> you're yeah. playing, you know. Yeah. Whereas punk, just, you know, even though I'm saying, well, I hate this music because. I really wanted to be. I really wanted to, to put that lightning and uh, lightning and put it in a bottle. And be like this is this is this is good. Right. This is just as important as you know as as being as yes, yeah, so Amber's like Palmer, right. yeah, Miles Davis, the Beatles. This is just because it's emotionally, spiritually, right. There's a resonance. There's a frequency to it. Whether it was the attitude, the energy, the dissonance of of the music being a little bit well a lot out of tune. especially live, you know, all yeah. these bands. I mean they play really hard, you know. And this is before locking system on the guitar, so things will go out of tune in the middle of the song. Yeah. You know. So it was like, yeah, I cannot ignore this. So by the time the eight the the eighties, uh Sons Strip music came out we were all influenced by it. Even though we yes. might have said, you know, I hate punk or New Wave. Right. No, well, you might hate it, but it's in your music now. It's right. in your DNA.
0: Well, there's also one you of know? your, one of your, and, oh, go ahead. I was going to say one of your contemporaries that like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like Nikki Six, like when they, in, like mm, when Motley yeah. Crue, their first record, there's definitely the energy of punk is happening in that, in that record.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it in a way uh with difference between Motley Crew and, and uh and Quiet Riot, one one of the ma- few differences, because there's not that many, but there's a few fundamental differences is that Frankie had been playing Frankie Benelli drums. And I'm talking about the Metal Health version of Quiet Riot, uh for so long. I mean, I met him ten years before we recorded. The, uh, the music for mental health. In Miami? And I say music is because uh, in Florida. Florida okay. Yeah. And I met him on my birthday. There's a story, a backstory to that, but, you know, I'll move on. And uh, so Frankie's influence is predated. You know, let's say he was a big John Bottom fan, but he was also a big fan of what John Bottom was influenced by. You know, we're talking about uh, swing and jazz uh, drummers. You know, right. Gene Krupa and Bill Elson and, and Buddy Rich and, you know, all, all the greats, you know? Yeah. And so Frankie played with, with a certain style that no matter how much he wanted to, because he, I got to tell you, when we were in 1972, 73, living in Florida, he loved the New York Dolls.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Frankie, Right, everybody did the dolls. I mean, they were like they were kind of like punk before punk, yeah. just because of their attitude, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But they were glam at the same time. Yeah, that was like the the bridge between glam and punk. New York dolls, you know, and it was a lifestyle. They were like the original Guns N' Roses on the first record.
0: Yes, exactly. You
2: know, that lifestyle. You know the drug and hanging out. You know the show, even the uh, the social impact. Yeah. Uh, you know that they had only mus- musicians on the East Coast. You know, whatever happened in New York, eventually would filter down to uh, to, to South Florida right. because of that tourism, tourism, Correct. snowbirds, and all. Of that, yeah, right? yeah. So you know the dolls. You know, they hang around Florida. Dale, they played at the Flying Machine and all of that. So their influence, along with Bowie and, and all of that, was like really, really strong. And we connected with that. But then at the same time, you got Frankie, who turned me on to all the prog rock bands <laughs> because he used to work at a record store. So he got all these imports, band, bands like Gong and uh, Coliseum and, you know, all, 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 you know, and of course the the usual flavors like the uh, Burn album, the new Deep Purple band, you right. know, Burn with Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, which ironically, when we were in 1972, we were just like, you know, Frankie was like 21, I was, and so was I. I, I met him on my 22nd birthday. And we used to sit there and, and go, wow, listen to this record, listen to that singer, yeah, Dale. yeah. And we yeah. will go, yeah, but listen to that bass player singing, Glenn Hughes. he's from a band called Trapeze, and yeah, yeah. so on. And what's ironic is that we both got to work with them. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome, later. yeah. As a yeah. matter of fact, White Snake was how he met Coverdale was because White Snake was uh, the support band for Quiet Riot in 1984 for Condition Critical Tour. Yeah. You know, so it's the irony is that here we are <laughs> yeah. and, we're, and then we're manifesting, manifesting these desires. Yeah. Because we desire to play with people of that caliber Correct. someday, you know, and they become real. As a and- matter of fact, for Frankie... From that point it was about maybe eight years later he played with uh glenn hughes and the hughes throw band he was right. he's the drummer of that record and for me it was 13 okay 87 87 to 82 that's 15 years later uh that i got to play in white State. yeah so you know things if you put them in motion that it eventually will happen at the right time
0: yeah I found a cool a cool concert from, I think it was like, it was when you had blonde hair, which was then again, I was like, cool. I thought Sarza was playing with him. Then. And then I, I was like, oh, no, it is him, but he's got blonde hair. But man, David Coverdale, Jesus yeah. Christ, man. What a singer. Yeah. What I mean, a what great a drummer. great singer. I mean, singer. Yeah. <laughs> well, Aldridge was, was in that band as well when you were in it, right? Tommy Aldridge, you had your... Uh,
2: yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the 87 lineup, uh, Adrian Vandenberg Vivian Campbell... David, tommy and myself
0: yeah. can, can i ask you a quick, then a, a, just a yeah. very quick question before we go back to uh, the quiet riot stuff and this stuff there's there's something i was mm-hmm. noticing and i was i was thinking about you in this thing is that uh in the quiet riot band that's musically it's a three-piece band like the led zeppelin model right with a lead singer mm-hmm. and 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 yeah. the aussie band same thing as that and then when you get to a band like uh like uh, like White Snake at that point, you guys had Vandenberg mm-hmm. and Vivian Campbell in the band. What mm-hmm. does your playing? I, I know this sounds weird, but does your playing an approach to playing change when there's two guitar players as opposed to just one?
2: Yeah, uh, not just well, the playing playing changes because you're you're playing in especially in a legacy band, which means that there are records already right. and there's a blueprint yeah has been laid out. Uh, the foundation i'm not saying that every record is going to ha- sound the same right because that, that's not helping but there's a there's a starting point a foundation that's been laid out from the very beginning and then it's been developing and then you just want to catch what's the next level of development of that band of where i'm at right now so with me, it was more sonically. It was the first time I ever played with two guitar players. And what happens is, uh, especially if you're playing 70s and early 80s music foundation, and I say 80s, early, really, really early, early 80s before the power chords, uh, which is more of the three-piece band, but the two-piece band and just even, even if you were not going to the studio for the first time and you start working with a producer, the producer will make you play using what is called the cage system, which is inversions of the same chords in different positions. Because if, you, if everybody's playing at the, in the same position on the neck, it's all, there's no spread. Right. You know, that's why you have to guitar because you look at it as that's your, maybe your string or your horn section. And there's a right. spread. Right. There's a there's a there's a range that certain instruments played out and that's it gets fuller. So there's no real gap between everything. Or with the frequency. Right. And when you play with the guitar players, you know, you might use like one guy might be playing a strat with with a single coil, another guy might might be playing uh humbuckers. So that kind of like sonically, it gives you a a difference. You know what I mean? You got different tones happening at the same time. So your ear is getting ear candy, new information. And then if you spread them, you know, chord wise, you're going to hear different harmonics coming out out of the chord, even though they might be playing the same notes. Uh, And then you got counter rhythms going on. So very, very different from playing three-piece. What I really enjoy about playing three-piece is is that there's more that I can cover. I don't have to stick to below the twelve fret so much all the I, time. Right. I can, I can color it because we, we need that. Like the lower the guitar goes, the higher I go in order to meet. And, and again, ear candy for whoever's listening.
0: Yeah. yeah, I love that stuff and for the listeners so, sorry for the listeners yeah. that are listening right now there's there's one record in particular that, that what Rudy's talking about right now is so easy and you might already know the record but, but like uh, Def Leppard Hysteria is a great record on headphones where you can hear exactly because those two guys uh, especially on that record mm-hmm. were doing such different things that made one sound you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With Phil and Steve yeah. on that record yeah. anyway uh, uh, alright go yeah, ahead sorry. absolutely
2: no, i'm saying so you know just to answer your question uh in a nutshell now it's uh, sonically yes I changed a lot I had to find frequencies that would sit in really well especially having Vivian campbell which is another thing I've never had a, a another guitar player on my side of the stage right so that changes my my per, per, perception perspective my angle of my hearing because now I have and he yeah, had beautiful sound a very Full Be- yeah. full sound.
0: Very yeah.
2: They had a lot of a lot of low end. You know, back in the day they were using these things called the Bradshaw system. Yeah. And they had usually came with all the technology and switching system and yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was pretty much the sound of the day at that time, late eighties. Right. And and Vivian, Vivian sounded fantastic. So I really had to work on my tone, change uh Go more with preamp uh, and and humbuckers like Alembics and Alembic pickups and preamp and also uh, Bartolini's humbuckers back then.
0: Yeah. All right. That's uh, that's a good thing to know. I bet a lot of people will be interested in this. All right. Let's go back to metal health. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. You were talking about making the mental health. The metal health. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yes, yes, yes. So you know, here I am. I'm touring with uh, with Randy, Randy and Ozzy. Randy passes away and changed everything and for everybody, you know, right. Everybody that was not only in the Aussie band, but you know, Kevin, who I played with him, and we remain close with him. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, every time we will go on a break from Ozzy and we got back to Los Angeles, we would take whatever transportation. And that was waiting for us. And uh, usually a limbo, you know, just and I say, okay, let, let's, let's go to this address. So we'll go and pick up Kevin <laughs> and take him to the rainbow. Yeah. And that would be our op- our opportunity to give Kevin a report. Yeah. Because remember, there was no other way to communicate, yeah, no yeah. texting, phone calls, that were so expensive, long yeah. distance, and all that. So we just went to the rainbow and we told Kevin what's going on outside of LA. Right. Nothing was going on in LA as far as rock and roll goes. But meanwhile, you had the new wave of metal already happening in 1981. Right. You know, we we had already played with Def Leppard in the Blizzard, you know, in the Blizzard Wild Store and Motorhead. So those were fine examples of what was to come. Of what was coming. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. when I played, yeah, yeah. And as far as metal goes, and then you got the perfect storm of MTV, you know, playing, playing in our case, come on, fill the noise every half hour, you know, amongst the other, just because they were lacking content. They didn't have enough videos to play. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, so, you know, Randy, Patty, so we were at the rainbow and we had just returned from England. And we did a short run right before the direct Straits tour in the United States. So they were talking about, they were talking about late November, early December and would go, Kevin, you're not gonna believe this, man. They're, the fans are so crazy in England that they come and they bang their heads in front of our stage. That was the, that was the theater theater tour that we were doing with Ozzy. And, uh, and in theaters, <laughs> back in England, a lot of them in, in certain areas, they would remove the seats. So it would be like general admission, so they could really reach the very front of the stage and bang their heads as we're playing. Yeah. So that's the origin of "Bang Your Head."
0: Okay, that's that awesome. Song.
2: <laughs> that 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 that's where it came from. You know. So I mean, when when Kevin wrote that song, he had not, you know, when he wrote the lyrics, yeah, he had not witnessed that personally in England. But so he just took that imagery that Look. we were laying on him.
0: America and, uh, was waiting and for made it. That
2: happen. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: So, can I Absolutely. Can I tell you the perspective of a 14-year-old uh in junior high when that record came out and just how uh what a wave it was. And then to know, I remember even at the time like I was obviously looking up stuff and 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 I knew I've always known that that was the first uh he- heavy metal record, hard rock record like that to hit the the number 1 spot. But what I didn't realize was what was number one and what you guys did. You knocked Michael Jackson's thriller out of the number one spot, dude.
2: Yeah, you know, once you get into a territory like that, there, there's, uh, there's a lot of politics being played because remember, we were on the same label. Oh, you were? <laughs> you were on Epic as well? well. Yeah. We, yeah, we were Epic. Yeah. It was a. Uh, Pasha was the imprint. But it, it wasn't we were signed to Epic, and marketing, radio promotion, that whole big machine was Epic's machine. So you had a promo guy working on the same Michael Jackson record as you have the choir riot record. and this is where politics from the very, very, very top come in. And so if you if you will go by the numbers that record stores, were reporting on a weekly basis, we we would have been number one sooner and longer than we did. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were, well, we used to do daily in stores in whatever city we were playing at that right. evening. Yeah. We had that routine going. Yeah. And yeah. we would go there and sign for an hour, hour and a half, you know, at a mall or a record store <laughs> at a mall. So. <laughs> There's plenty of parking. The Sam Goody. The kids are standing in yeah. line. Yeah, they, it's usually near a food court. <laughs> <you know. laughs> okay. and, uh, and so yeah, so the, you know we'll be signing, and and when you sign something, a lot of times they just buy the record there, and then they go through a line. You sign it, and they and they move on. And and they go, listen, we've been reporting you guys even before we did the signing, as the number one seller. You guys should be number one by now. And, and, and let me just clarify, uh, we were the first debut by a metal record to go to number one, not just the first band, metal band to go to right, number right. one. Uh, debut album.
0: Yeah. So that record comes out in March, and by Labor Day, you're at the Us Festival playing to how many, was it a half a million people at the Us Festival? It's a crazy amount of people.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, no. I mean, to be to, to okay. Let's let's go back to real real figures here. It's sorry. about between three fifty and three seventy five. But I got to tell you, after the first one hundred thousand, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly. a blur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. it really doesn't matter. And, you know, I what what really helped me was that I had already been on tour for about a year and a half, at least, with Ozzy. So I've been there, yeah. yeah, with this band, yeah, Ozzy Osbourne band with Randy and Tommy, and so it was big. No matter where we played, it sounded big, and it was big, and it felt big. You know, playing playing in that band with Ozzy. So by the time that I did the Oz Festival, it was kind of like, okay, I I'm, yeah. I'm not going to freak out because I've, you know, of course, you know it's it's a lot of people, but then again. We played, you know, we did some festivals with Ozzy when in England and they and on the green with uh, July 4th, 1981. So, you know, you just get used to it. Yeah. So it was not something so alien. Uh, I would say for Kevin, it would have been the first experience of him playing in a crowd, you know, bigger than 10,000 people.
0: He did well, man.
2: But Frankie had been there. Yeah, Frankie had been there before. He had toured with other bands, uh, recording bands, you know, touring bands. And so he, that was not an a, an odd experience for him. Carlos, it would be basically the same as Kevin. But you know, hey, listen, we we will go on stage and do exactly the same show performance at the US Festival as we would do the next day playing the uh, what is it, the the Agoras? Right, it was a right, chain right, right. Of clubs. Yeah, yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Agora Ballroom. Yeah. With, yeah we, we were going uh, we were going back to the uh, to the Agora somewhere in Texas, Dallas or Houston or something like that and right in the day after the El festival because we, we, came, we, we got the El Festival like two days before uh, it, it happened. We were, we were uh, supporting scorpions who were warming up to the Elves festival. We did like a two or three week tour and wound up in Colorado in Denver. that was the last show. And and the promoter for that show was the same promoter for the Us Festival or the guy who put together the artists, not necessarily the promoter, or he might have been. But anyways, because that was actually an Apple, early Apple yeah. event.
0: The Wozniak event.
2: Yeah, Macintosh, Apple, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they they financed it. Yeah. That was, you know. But uh, but Barry Fay was there involved, and he's the one to say, "Hey, listen, we just moved Joe Walsh from the metal day to the the, the pop day, or like they called it." And so, if you guys want it, it's 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 your gig. Right. If you if you want to play at the U.S. festival, I, I had no idea what the U.S. festival was. To be honest with you, I was too busy touring with Choir Riot all over the place. Again, we didn't have social media. Not like I exactly. could have gone to Facebook and say, oh, how's right. festival happening? You know, just like you get Coachella and all that yeah, stuff. yeah, that I, that's nothing to do with me. But uh, so I was not aware of it. And so we did it. And it, so it, it really, to me, it really helped me. The fact that, I, that all of a sudden I'm playing in front of all these people. So I don't have that like three months of, of working myself up to like, oh my God. You know, I mean, like, for example, Rockahoma. I've never played Rockahoma because I, for the last few years, I've been playing in a more classic rock band. Right. You know, from Blue, Blue Acer Cold to uh, to The Guess Who. Right. And which was the last band that I was playing in right before I uh, I came home to Quiet Riot. So, uh, so Rockahoma, I always kind of, kind of like, oh, wow, look look at all these awesome bands that Most of them are my friends, and I don't get to be part of that. You know, playing for my generation because you know playing in a band like the Guess Who is wonderful because I grew up with that music. But it was not the music of my times when I was uh, playing with uh, you know with Quiet Riot. It was not eighties band. You were talking about sixties and early seventies band. You know, so it's a whole different demographic that I'm standing in on stage and look at, looking at. Uh, so now I, I, I'm so excited to be playing Rock Lahova because I finally get to uh, to come home and play for my people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and once again, like before we move on to something else, I, I mean, I watched those videos that, that you guys sound incredible. Who's that singer guy?
2: It's fun. It's fun. Well, you know what? I mean, uh, we can talk about the subject in, in depth, but... Uh just in the, in a nutshell, uh Jizzy Pearl comes from a band called Love Hate mm-hmm. that originates from the Sunset Strip, kinda like the last generation of the Sunset Strip okay. before uh grunge, nineties nineties music. Right. You know, kinda like the focus went from from the Sunset Strip to Seattle and anywhere but LA. <laughs> right,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: If, if you were from San Diego, you're, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it possible for his you know, but if you were like LA County, forget about it. <laughs> we don't care. But anyways, uh, so, 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 so he comes from, from that. And, and it's like, it's, it's the same, uh, experiences walking down as a starving musician, Sunset trip going to a rainbow, you know, and as I did, but probably, you know, most likely maybe seven years before that. So Jizzy is, is you know, Family. Kevin.
0: Kevin,
2: yeah. Kevin is not with us, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and if we're going to carry on so we can celebrate the legacy of those who are no longer here with us, uh, you want to find somebody who really resonates. And really understand and it's the real deal and comes from the same well. Yeah. As exactly Jizzy Pearl does yeah. with Quiet Riot. You know. Uh he he had a band called Love Hate that Kevin, Kevin really loved that band. You know, and it's ironic because we will be in the tour bus and Kevin will show up with these. He will make like compilation CDs. And I'll hear something go, Who's that? One of them was uh uh typo negative. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> it was so weird. Yeah. So different, so yeah. weird from anything else out there. And going and at the time I was really into like the uh the vampire, you know, Lestat and you know, all those yeah, books, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I'm like his his voice kind of like reminded me of what Lestat, you know, was supposed to sound like according to descriptions in the book. And go, wow, that's but then again, you know, so time goes by, you know, decades later, uh while Frankie was still with us, they were looking for a drummer to, when Frankie was busy or, you know, unable to go on the road because of his uh, cancer treatments Mm -hmm. that he was taking, whether they were, you know, chemo or holistic, he was relentless. He was fighting it, you know, every single day. Sometimes he just could not make the uh, long trip. So, Johnny Kelly, who was the drummer in typo negative, just one thing you know it was serendipity yeah that that it happened and then and the and, you know the last fight you know when Frankie realized that I'm not gonna be able to to go on the road on a you know he had to like really really do that fight cancer harder than he ever had right he asked uh, johnny and says listen if you you know if you want to be the permanent drummer for now because he never he never lost hope he never did he fought it until his last breath uh but uh so so that's how johnny came into the band frankie picked him wow and it was and it was a, a band that that we were fans of, yeah. you know, typo-negative. And and, and and that's another layer to Johnny, you know, he understands loss. You know, everybody in the band has experienced loss. Uh, Alex, our guitar player, has been in the band for 20 years, even before Kevin and Frankie reunited to put together what became the last, you know, this quiet this riot right. that we have now, which is, It's an evolution so far Uh, That Alex was picked by Kevin And then Kevin, Frankie and Alex play together And then Alex loses And Frankie loses Kevin Right Then they get back together again With various Singers Right And Then Johnny comes in And he's been there like the longest after Kevin. And but then again, you know, then Johnny, and Alex lose Frankie. And of course, when when we lost Frankie, I was not in the band. And now we, we have every single member in the group. The four of us, we understand what it is to lose the bandmate.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, it's 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 a very unusual situation because usually you, you you don't have a whole band like that unless it's it's like you know, let's say one band that's been together that loses one member and let's say like like ACDC, you know, when they lost Bon, bon Scott, the whole band or, of of that version of the band the yeah, Back in Black, with the exception of uh, Brian Johnson, who came in in Bon Scott's place, but then you have the collective of everybody have experienced that. And maybe Brian Johnson had not experienced what it's like to lose a bandmate because he is the one who came in to take over. uh,
0: Yeah, for Bon.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bon Scott's place. You know, so, but in this one is like, we all know. We all know the pain and we all know the responsibility that we have to carry on. Uh are there, uh Johnny
0: Can I ask you a question real Johnny, quick yeah, about yeah, this? Yeah, uh, sure. Is there are there are there times that you look around when you're playing the gig and you and you and you feel the presence of of the guys that came before?
2: Oh yeah, sure. Like 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 that guy right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful, <laughs> man.
0: I, I love that.
2: <laughs> I see I see, I, I see him every day.
0: Oh, that's well, great. That, there he is.
2: Yeah. Where do I go? Uh, you know, it's, this is the best way that I can explain it. Is it's, I plug in, I plug in and it's, it's and again, it's something that I've learned from studying quantum physics. Uh, there's no time and space. Right. According to scientists, Right. So if there's no time and space, it's always now.
3: Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
2: Now my my reference, I, I can tell you what my past is easier than my future. But if I really worked at it, I could really tell you what my future is. Right. But I am so busy in the now. Right. Because now is what I will not have a future without my now. Right right so I can plug in into the infinite my infinite past because it goes beyond my experience and uh, this cycle of visiting this planet
0: yeah yeah
2: you know okay <laughs> it, it goes it goes beyond that but let's say if i'm gonna go I'm on stage and i'm about to play a playlist that consists almost 100 percent when we headline. Of songs that I recorded and have performed in the past, forty years ago. Some of them, like "Slick Black Cadillac," it's forty-five years.
1: Right, right.
2: Almost forty-five years. Next year, it's going to be forty-five because I used to play that with uh, with the Randy Rose version of the band. So what I do is I plug in to that frequency of what it was like, what it's like. Not what it was, but what it is. Because I got to manifest that right now. Right, right, right. And that's it. It's actually, it's quite simple, but you cannot forget that you have to plug in.
1: Right, right.
2: Because otherwise I'm going to be playing notes. Yeah. Not not being one with this whole experience. Because, uh, you know, there's there's that fine line between me being here in the now and me being... Back then, right, and I just have to find that zone, and there, there you know, one once I, mm, I in it. Oh yeah, it's an incredible experience. You can you can see
0: that in you, like there's a connection that you have with music and the people that you're making it with in the moment on stage. That that really comes through, and I I noticed it a lot in that uh, in that White Snake mm-hmm. video mm-hmm. a lot there seemed to be a lot of, yeah, it's of, of communication happening between all of you. That was really beautiful.
2: Yeah. It, uh, yeah. And, and it's fun. There's nothing more fun than everybody to be on, on the same wavelength frequency and having fun, which is fun. It, it's Fun is, is really underrated yeah
0: no totally totally
2: hey can i can i ask i want to ask you
0: something real quick Uh, there's uh i think we have a mutual friend jane weedlin from the go-go's aren't you friends with her
2: oh jane yeah oh my god yeah she
0: she she and i've written a bunch of songs together and her ex-husband jed malone the scottish guy he was one of my managers. He was our
2: manager. Yeah, he, he was. He was. He was. He was my manager too. When
0: I used to go to LA and stay with them and write, he would. They, there was always like, a, oh, Rudy's not in town, but when he is, sometime we're going to take you so you can meet him another Cuban guy, and we'll go to like a Cuban lunch or something. They always told me they were going to do that.
2: But oh, anyway. Yeah. Gen- Jed was wonderful. Uh, what is he up to?
0: Um, you know, my I had uh, these management partners, and it was him and this other guy, Martin. And I, I talked to Martin a lot, and Martin told me Jed's been doing really good. I don't, I don't really know exactly what he's up to right now, but he's doing good. I always love okay. that guy.
2: Wonderful man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lovely. Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Um, wonderful. And Jane too. Yeah. yeah. Jane's
0: amazing. Yeah. But
2: yeah, that you guys. As a matter of fact, that's that's. That's a connection of how because jo- Johnny Five, John Five right, before, right. before he had a number, was our guitar player. And so when Jane went on the road, he she brought she took John Five with her to play. And then he started playing with Katie Lang. So so you have <laughs> the guitar player for uh, for Jane Wheatland. Uh, Katie Lang. Is John <laughs> Then he joins like yeah, and then he did a record because this has to do not not only with Jed, uh, but also with our producer, which is his name is Bob Arlette And Bob and I, we came to Los Angeles along with Frank Benelli, and we lived together. Right. So this is like this is like really deeply rooted, right? So Bob and and uh, and John Five, they they did a whole record, which is actually songs are be- are, are being released now. From David Lee Roth.
0: Oh, fam- <laughs> he
2: did a whole record with David Lee Roth. You know wow. that song about Van Halen. Yeah, yeah. That goes back to like like the '90s. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, and then and then Johnny joins uh, Marilyn Manson, which is where he's get his number from. Right. And then Rob Zombie, and you know he's got solo. As a matter of fact, I just did my my interview for a documentary that's coming out, and it's going to be really really cool about him. Oh, about really, Johnny. He's,
0: he's, he is, he, I, 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 I came late to the, to the, to the, to the show with him like 15 years ago was when I first heard of him. And I'd never, I can't believe everything he can play. Like, no, I've never seen anybody play country so well. You know, he's better than like Roy Clark. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he can also go between Ace freely yeah. and Steve Vai. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> which is almost like two different languages. So, can I ask you a couple a of oh, yeah. things about Miami? Because I called my dad today. There was a, a, a thing about your 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 family came from Cuba in 1963, early 63. Is that right? 61. 61. Okay. So my family yeah. came in '59 and '60. Like my mom's side came mm-hmm. in fifty nine, my dad's in sixty. But I don't yeah. I, I couldn't get an answer from my dad because I know you guys needed sponsorship to come here.
2: Yeah. But my, which is why it took us so long. It, it it took us a year and a half to get to get a sponsor. Okay, my yeah.
0: my great grandmother and great grandfather were living in Miami at the time and maybe they sponsored my dad's mm. family. I just I had never heard of that before until I heard of it from, from your story. I was like, oh, I didn't yeah. realize that was something that needed to happen. So I was checking with my family.
2: Yeah. Yeah. In order for you to get your visa, you have to have a sponsor first who took responsibility of your well-being. Right. And then, but, but, but here's the loophole. So once you did that and you arrived in Miami, then you asked for Cuban for refugee status.
0: Right. That's right.
2: But in order for you to be in order for you to leave Cuba, you have to have the passport. You have to have the visa, right? And you have to have the airplane tickets, of course. You right. know, you have to have all these documentation, not only to enter the United States, but also to be allowed to leave Cuba.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, my, uh, yeah, my gra- my my grandfather on my mom's side, uh, he had a hospital with his brother and his dad in Havana, uh, La Clinica Antonetti. You know, did you know that hospital? What was
2: that? La Clinica. Antonetti. Uh, no, no, we went to one that's called Mad, Mad Fun.
0: Uh, okay.
2: Um, Mad, okay. Mad Fun. That was the, the the one that I that I recall going to as a kid. Yeah.
0: So in Miami, my dad ended up kind of having mm-hmm. like singing in a band, and uh, oh, and wow. and the dude on drums in their band was Willy Chirino. Like the, like before he moved out front, (laughs) before he made his Dave Grohl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Then also, there was a a guy that played guitar uh, named Chama, um, uh, Victor Angulo, who ended up being in a band called Cracker.
2: Victor, I know Victor. I mean, Victor Angulo, he was like one of the mythological figures in the Miami Cuban rock scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's not a lot of Cuban rock dudes.
0: There's just not.
2: <laughs> no, but but you know guys like Victor and Google and all the bands that he played in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, there were so many incarnations of those bands. Cracker like was we, that we one though. One thing. Well, right. Cracker's the yeah. one that moved to Chicago right, and right. actually got a record deal. I have their second album. You do? <laughs> it's a, it's a little cigar box. Yeah, I I got it like in a, in a you know one of those secondhand stores. Yeah. Decades ago. You know, and, and it just, I just, I, I, I just, you know, this is back in the day when they spend money yeah. on making covers, you know, and the fact that it was a Cuban cigar and it was cracker. I mean, I, you know, I, it's. It, the, those bands were kind of like my local inspiration. Yeah, I was wonderful. Because they were so way ahead of me. Yeah, yeah, musically, they were, you
0: know. Yeah, Yeah, when I was talking to my dad this morning, my dad right. was like, man, ask him if he knows Victor. And I was like, I will. And I bet that he probably does because some band that's like getting signed by the Rolling Stones in Miami, I'm sure everybody that was playing music knew who yeah. they were.
2: Yeah, but even before they got yeah, signed to the Stones, there right. was something about them. They were They were at a higher musical level uh everything about them was very cool they were like the the local version of like the rolling stones or you know yeah that yeah that coolness yeah you know? in think, miami but in miami so to be cool in the latin community yeah in miami that was a challenge really huge challenge huge
0: know? yeah he uh i yeah. can't i can't wait he's gonna love that 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 He's going to love that because I know I know that, you know, yeah. through his his life, he he chose to go and work and like try and make a living as opposed to, like, keep on pursuing the dream. But he's he still plays. He has a studio in his house. that's actually really nice. And he's always doing shit. So, oh, Victor? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Victor? Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. yeah. 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 I mean,
2: if, if, uh, are, you, are you in touch with him? Yeah. Yeah. You, I can put you oh, guys g- in yeah. touch. <laughs>
0: I would be more than yeah, happy I would, to.
2: I would love to. I would love to hook up. Yeah. yeah I'd love to hook up with him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, my dad actually like yeah. they 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 restarted their band in the nineties, like when they were in their almost in their fifties or whatever. And uh but they got they got my dad out of the band in the second <laughs> he got a different singer. So my dad's out, but they're all still friends.
2: <laughs> oh good. Yeah, great. my dad wasn't uh, happening. But um You know since you mentioned Willie you Yeah. And you mentioned that you were not aware of the sponsors. Are you aware of the Peter Pan Project? I'm totally
0: aware. That's how that's how that's how Victor and his brother uh, uh, Futhi, came to America.
2: Yeah. Yes, and that's how Willy Chirino came to America. Oh, really? Too. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. That that thing that was a that was sponsored by like Catholic churches and stuff, right? And they brought people and yeah, just kind of yeah, put them all yeah. over the country until their families could unite.
2: Well, yeah, kids. Uh, it was a Peter Pan, meaning mm-hmm. children. You know how Peter Pan, and yeah. the story flies, and he brings the kids yeah. over to Never, Neverland, you know, Neverland. And uh, kind of like Michael Jackson did, you know, sort of. <laughs> but a little more benevolent. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but. It wasn't just kids. It was mostly the children. And I know this because I I have friends who went through this experience. Their parents, uh, they stayed a little bit too long in Cuba, waiting to see what was going to happen. And their possessions became nationalized. Right. You know, like a lot of industries, like if you were an industrialist and you own this company, uh, it, it will be taken away from you yeah and if you complain or eventually eventually, just because you were a capitalist uh you like i I know guys you know men who were children then whose family were arre- kept in house arrest in their own property oh my god which is exactly the same thing, so now instead of you instead of you living in the house that you built by your hard work, now you're living in in a barn, <laughs> right. you know, with the yeah. rest of the animals there, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and then they were taken to jail, and this is where the, uh, the, the situation arose, that you have all these children that were displaced because their family were in jail, and their relatives were either fleeing the country or hiding, so they were not able to take care of their nephews or, yeah. you know, grandkids or anything, so this is where the Peter Pan project was to say okay now these kids don't have their parents so we're going to bring them to foster homes in the United States right which is what's better than having the kids on the streets yeah. or not having anybody to be able to care yeah. for you know
0: um yeah it's it's interesting you know i obviously you're going to be episode 1200 1200 of my podcast which is going to be on friday ah. and in all of this
2: and if you add it up it's uh, yeah
0: no yeah. i don't know go ahead if i add it up it's
2: what I mean, that's, that's a good Tesla number. Yeah. Because, yeah, one and two, it's three, zero, zero, three. So, yeah.
0: So, I, I don't ever get to talk <laughs> about this shared experience because those, like, are, we know these stories of someone trying to get out of somewhere. You know, like people trying to get out of, uh, mm-hmm. of Germany or something during World War II or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we, yeah. we, we have these shared stories. Everybody has these, like, yeah. oh, this is how we yeah. got out story. You know? Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Oh, I, oh, go ahead. I mean, I rarely talk about them because unless unless you experience something for yourself, you're, you're never going to get that familiarity of how painful things can be Right. under certain situations, circumstances, right. political circumstances. And to me, that is the worst, the worst kind. Yeah. Because... They can take everything. Politics, <laughs> we, we, yeah, the only way to resolve something is if, if it's politically, let's say politically. And I, I usually never, I usually do not call communism politics because it's not, it's a one-party system. Right, right. So you haven't got much of a traditional politics So you got two, at least two sides. Right. Arguing about what the right thing is. In communism, it's one side, one right. party. And so... Is that politics? No, that's the dictatorship. Okay, great. Okay. So now that we define that. <laughs> right, exactly. You know. Unless you really truly experience a dictatorship. Right. Uh, you cannot even imagine.
0: No, I mean all I know is like. the stories, you know.
2: Yeah. And 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 the problem is that they just become stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so
2: I, can I, if I... Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say... Yeah, have you, no, no. Just, have you gone back? Yeah.
2: yeah. Have you gone back? No. Me neither. I checked this morning. It's, it still is a, a ruthless... Communist dictatorship.
0: I have family members that have gone back, and I I don't. I don't diss anyone for going, but when people are like, "Do you want to go?" I'm like, "No." That whole that regime kicked my whole country out of their, my whole family out of their country. Why would I want to go give them my money?
2: Yeah, why? Okay, you you were born there, right? No, I was born here. I was born in Miami, sixty-eight. Okay, okay, I was I I was born there, and for me to go back to my country, my native country, my country of birth, right. As a tourist, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to
0: Yeah, I don't blame you, you.
2: know Because, you know, the Communist Party does not recognize me as a, you know, as a citizen right. of Cuba. Which right. I'm not. I'm a citizen of the United States. Yeah. You know, that's like, I'm being realistic here. I'm not just, you know, I've been here for, it's going to be September 1st this year, 61 years. Wow. Congratulations. Come on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um uh, and it's such a blessing that I, now my my mom lives with us and we oh, we get to celebrate that together. Oh, yeah. she's
0: still around? Yeah. Oh, that's great, man. Oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um I I have a my grandmother's 99. She's still around. She lives in Houston. Wow. And I spend a lot of time with her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. God bless her. God bless her. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um I I I you were in this movie Hired Gun. Which is a great uh, a great documentary about people uh, who work in music. You know what I mean? The people who, who work to make it happen. You know what I mean? The side man. Yeah, there's a
2: lot of there's uh Well there's 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 and then oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I mean I I I, I the title's very strong, but given the content of the movie it's a little bit misleading. Because it is, to me, I look at it as, if you're going to call this this hired gun, which is, it's everybody speaking about their experiences as hired guns. correct? And I, you know, young musicians, they tell me, hey, you know, what do you recommend? I said, well, the best education you're going to ever have is to join somebody else's band. First, you're going to learn so much that you're not gonna be able to learn in any school because it's gonna give you experience. It's not academic, it's real life. Yeah. You know? And because, for example, what academia does, let's say you want to become a doctor, there's certain books that you have to follow and the read and 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 the professor and tests that you gotta take to learn about, let's say if you're a doctor about the human body. Yeah. Not until you are In the emergency room of the hospital, are you really going to experience everything that that you have been taught? Yeah. Following a certain academic. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, program, you know. Right. But it isn't your face-to-face, life-or-death situation that you're really a doctor or a nurse. That's right. That's correct. You know what I mean? So that's experience. So having said that, going back to getting, let's get out out of ER, (laughs) which is just as critical, the music industry. If you want to get the best education, yes, yes, you must learn. You must be educated, but a lot of times these people will mentor you. Like in the storyline of Ray Parker Jr. being mentored by Stevie Wonder. Yes. Well, you, you, you can't go to Berkeley. And take Stevie Wonder as your teacher, Stevie Wonder 101. Right, no. right. Yeah. Very few people have that opportunity to yeah. be mentored by Stevie Wonder. And and Ray Parker just took that and said, Man, I I'm gonna learn as much as I can. Yeah. You know, from this master. Yeah. You know. And then when you learn, and then at some point when you have acquired as much experience and education you pass it on yeah. to the next generation you know sometimes it is within your own group or being in a group where there's younger people and you either lead by example and they're going to come a time that once they trust you by leading by example they're going to be asking you specific questions about how, you know about what they need to know to get to the next level right and uh to me, that is priceless. And that to me is about what Hired Gun, the movie, is about. It's not about being a Hired Gun. It's about what you gain from being a Hired Gun so you can apply that to your career. You know, like, yes, I've been a Hired Gun in a lot of bands, but I'm not a, I've am not. never been a Hired Gun in Quiet Riot.
0: Right. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, the other thing that they don't teach you at school or through education is how to be cool, like the hang, like, you know, like there's those things where people like I'd much rather have someone that wasn't a virtuoso that was cool to hang out with in the van or the bus or whatever backstage than some guy that's amazing and a jerk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's when your band becomes the family that you pick.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, it's a, it's, it's a perfect situation. Yeah.
0: Can I ask you a technical question about like all of these bands that you yeah. did? Sort of like, like Yngwie with uh, Dio, with Blue Oyster Cult, mm-hmm. with Jeff Tate's Queen, right? With the mm-hmm. guess who you have to go in and learn a catalog of music for a show. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. me through musician to musician, your method of learning the catalog? Like, for instance, I have a really good friend that passed away a few years, a bass player that did a lot of session work and a lot of touring with a lot of different bands. And his thing was he didn't even pick up his bass until he had listened to the music for two weeks.
2: Well, it fits. Okay, I've joined mostly legacy bands. Right,
0: that's true. Which means
2: that I'm very Yeah. Right. I'm familiar. See, I've already had that two-week period. Your whole life. <laughs> 30, 40, 40, yeah, yeah 40 years before, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I'm familiar with music, which is very different familiarity versus getting into the nooks and crannies of the original version. Second, how the band has evolved. Because if you're, let's say, by the time that I, that I started playing with boys the Cult, was in 2007? Something like that? Okay, which means that they have been together since 1972 as white underbelly. Uh, what is it? Wide under belly,
0: white underbelly. Soft white underbelly. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Soft white <laughs> underbelly.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, and then evolve into boys of course. What we're talking about, 40, 40 something years to, you know, a band that has been evolving musically and member wise. Everybody plays a little bit different. Now, there is one constant in that band as far as musicality goes. Buck. And, and and that is Buck Buck's style of playing guitar, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. coming from that Bell Bay, and I know this because we <laughs> had conversations about this. The cage system Yeah. way because sonically, guitar players like we we're talking, you know, a while ago talking about the power chord. Yeah, in the eighties, we really changed sonically a lot you know, made that sonic, uh, he just the guitar and the placement of all the other instrument with Marshall's playing power chords. It was a whole, right now we have to EQ things a little bit different on stage and on record. So you have Buck that, he doesn't sound like that. He still sounds like he's playing through a Fender amp, even though he uses Marshall. And But it has got that clarity, that clarity that, that you heard on the record, whether it is uh, the Reaper or burning for you all the right, like right, right. guitar pages uh-huh. that he does that's on stage i hear it you know it's coming out of my you know when i was in the band you right. know right. i was i was like sonically and then the studio uh, two guitar players sometimes three guitar players playing at the same time and they don't step in the way of of buck at all yeah he shines he, you know he rings right through so it's like this beautiful side, it's like orchestrated guitar work, you know, and they worked hard at it too. Yeah. You know, it didn't happen by accident, you know? And, uh, so in that type of band, there's always an evolution. Even, even Buck has evolved from who he was in the seventies and eighties as a guitar player, but still evolved in that path, that road of playing the like the Mel Bay. Yeah. You know, kind of like if you, You know, for anybody, all of the young people out there, there's plenty of videos with Chet Atkins and Les Paul playing together. And that's, in a nutshell, that's what I'm talking about. That sort of musical approach to the guitar. Okay. So that was really interesting because I grew up with that. I listened to those songs. As a matter of fact, uh, Eric Bloom, which is the other, the, the, the yin and the, uh, of the yang <laughs> 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 of Dharma uh, he would say hey listen uh, learn this song for this weekend we're going to add it on to, to the set list then I would go on YouTube listen to the song and i go oh my god it's you guys I had no idea I love that song <laughs> 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 and it's like they were so uh, esoteric in their in their uh productions. Yeah. That is, it was, kind of, it was kind of like the Beatles, but then there was one secret to that. And they would record one song at a time.
0: Yeah. That's my favorite studio. Oh, my, yeah. my favorite way of recording is a song from start to finish. I lose, I lose, yeah. uh, I lose perspective when it's two yeah. weeks of drums and a week. Uh, I don't even know if people do that anymore, but
2: yeah, I went through that. Yeah. I went through that period and uh, they were, which was the norm just yeah. record the drums first and then you go okay you go go back and redo your bass and then you start laying the guitars and building it like that and it's like the record sounds you know like like it, let's say death Leppard record right hysteria yeah yeah pyromania from beginning to end it's, every song sounds exactly the same
1: yeah
2: which for its time that was the thing to do right okay Uh, going back to the seventies, it was a very different situation because a lot of the bands, they were actually doing what we do now, which is weekends. They would just fly out, do a weekend and come back. Right. So they would have to like stop. Yeah. In the middle of like, okay, we got to leave uh, Thursday morning. Okay, so now, you know, Wednesday you finish that track and then you pick it up again when you come back the following week. Right. Or you finish it off. You're under that pressure. Oh, we got to finish the song by Wednesday because we're, go- we're going on the road Thursday. right? And then we're coming back and we're going to work on another song. You know, it, there were so many scenarios, but it led to a diversity of sounds once you had an album. And this is where really good mastering comes in. People, you know, they've lost sight of the original intent of mastering a record. First of all, because you don't have records anymore. So people approach it completely different sonically now than they used to back in the day, where you have to limit your, your bass frequencies to a point that, it depending on how many minutes you had on one side of, of each album. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's say if you had 20 or less, right. you get deeper grooves, which your needle is in deeper and you can have more low end. Mm-hmm. But if you have more music, you have more grooves, you know, more, let's say if you're, if the one side of the record was 23 minutes, then the grooves got tighter, yeah. which meant that your needle was not in so deep and any, low frequency below a certain frequency right, would make the needle skip, right. you know? So that's what mastering was about, making sure that they, there was a, a flat, a flat, flatten out that frequency so it does not affect the recording, you know, the skipping of the needle, right? And, uh, but, but with time, doing CDs and, 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 and MP3s, that was not necessary anymore. right. So mastering it has a whole different, different purpose today. And when also, when you master for a record, like I just mentioned, you, you might do one song in January and then February, you have another song. And, and by the time you're, you, you have enough for, for an album, there's discrepancy in volume right? coming out the way the song was mixed from one session to another mix. So that that was another purpose right. of mastering, making sure that from one song to the other, there was an equal level, right. and it, and you have a meter that would tell you what what you wanted to be. Right. You know, minus two dBs, minus three dB. It it, it, it was all depending on, on the label, uh, or the executive producer, or whoever was producing the record. Executive producer mean the A&R guy right. or the label or the producer. Of the of the record, You would just give instructions. I want this record to be minus two dB. Right. So there's headroom. Because and, and also you had different mixes for radio. If you have a single, not only will you mix it, but you master it differently. Right. right. Because back in the day when we had FM, it would be compressed. Right. FM FM would compress the signal. <clears throat> yeah. So you would mix it and master it so that it would uh, it would. Uh, Studios had the little radio station built in to the studio. So you could mix a record or song going, go in and play it from a device in the, uh, in at the, at the studio and go to your car and yeah. tune into the frequency <laughs> and listen to it.
0: Right. Well, because they have their own sets of compressors too, that end up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, Speaking yeah. of, of 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 frequencies and stuff like that, being a bass player and, and going through, like, the 70s to now, uh, bass and bass frequencies yeah. have changed over the last mm-hmm. 25 years. Like, there's a sub now to bass, even in PAs when you mm-hmm. go play places. In fact, just this weekend, one of the shows I played, I think, on Friday, our sound person was mm-hmm. having a difficult time playing. Uh, Reining in that super sub bass. What do you? Does that? I have a. I, I'm. I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm not a huge fan of that super sub bass sound.
2: Yeah. Uh, how much time do we have left on the? <laughs> according to you, got it's 28 minutes, man. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of information that uh, that uh, that pertains to that subject. Okay. So the way that I look at it, the the function of the bass guitar uh, is in a it's 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 completing its cycle. Uh, at least for me, it is personally, right? Because I'm in a I'm in a again, you know. Now you can actually forty years later you can call Quiet Riot legacy music yeah. because you know with me it's going back to what we did in the 70s. Right. Uh, I mean, I can tell you the similarities and the differences from the Randy Rose version to the quiet Riot version. But all in all, there were three years apart, 79 to 82, 80, 81, 82. So three years is not a whole, you know, especially as technology evolved so slowly back in late seventies and early nineties. I mean, right. I remember yeah. in 81, for eighty, Randy showed up with a Walkman. That was like the latest technology. A Walkman, you mean? I can listen to anything I want on headphones yeah. and not have to like disturb anybody. Oh, wow, wonderful, yeah. you know. So, and then it, it then it became different versions of the Walkman. So it's not like it went to MP3 from like, let's say, eighty. 290 it took it took a while Uh, the mp3 technology existed but it was never really applied uh, until napster became right the you know this file sharing yeah monster that it became and then uh the mp3 became because of of its compressed size the the sharing file coding of choice with everybody you know and uh but anyways, going going back to to the bass guitar, uh, the reason why we started using preamps in our instruments was so we could compete with bass synthesizers. You know that okay. was because remember, you know, back in the day, top forty, top forty could be anything from Simple Minds to uh, to Choir Riot, right? Or you know, or 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 what's his name? Uh, Wham. Yeah. Uh, anything like that, you know, it's like, yeah, or Thompson twins, yeah. you know, heavily synthesized bass music. And, and what happens is that the radio programmer wanted to make sure that that fidelity exists, you know, was a you when you went from one song to another, you would not sound like you're changing stations. As there was a certain consistent fidelity and sound. And what's really ironic since digital broadcast, like let's say Sirius XM lacks the, com- the compression of FM, which top 40 became FM around the eighties mm-hmm. and, and AM was more delegated to, to talk radio, right. let's say, you know, and the more FM radios were in cars, the more people start tuning into music because it just sounded better, right. better stereo. I wouldn't even think they had stereo AM in the eighties yet. You know, no, they do now, but yeah. not, not back then. Yeah. And, uh, so it was a perfect uh, format for, for music. And so what happens is the promo guy will show up at, at the studio and say, Hey, listen, you know, okay, there's going to be a single, but I need more more bass, man, because you know there's all these right on the top 40 and all these releases and they sound a certain way, and you know if you listen but if you listen to let's say hair Nation and go from hair Nation to like any other station, right, like a 70s station there's there hair Nation sounds like this, this big <laughs> because. And I tell you, because it's, you, uh, uh, you do you remember the SPX 90? Yeah. Yeah. That reverb unit? Yeah. Eight bit. It was a Yamaha, so right? it shrunk everything. Yeah. Yamaha, yeah, yeah, SPX yeah, yeah, 90. Yeah, yeah. It became like the, the factor in every studio. Yeah. And if you wanted to, to make your band sound like you were sitting really far away in an <laughs> arena, but you were like, you could only afford, you know, the cheap seats. That's the way records were mixed yeah. back in the eighties. Especially for brand new bands. Okay, yeah. we're going to make you sound like you belong in an arena, even though you haven't sold a single record yet. But we're going to give you that sound. And so if you, if you listen to those metal 80s stations right. on digital, everything sounds like this. Right. Whereas right. if you go back to the 70s, listen to Doobie's, Doobie Brothers, uh, Steely Dan, everything's in your face.
1: Yeah. All yeah, yeah, the yeah. instruments. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, so, yeah, the close so going back it, to. It, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah so so going back to our purpose as bass players, first of all we we have to start limiting our range and and this is something that that I really study when I, when I when I started playing with with blue Oyster Colt and, and with the guess who was that most of the playing or recording happened as slow the the low A on the E string, okay. That's as slow as they went. Rarely, rarely do you hear an open E bass. Wow! It would have to be like, like, like specifically you wanted that note, but it would not be part of a constant groove. Yeah, because it's too low of a frequency. Right. 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 So most of the playing was melodic, and it was like around this range right here, the seventh fret. Right. You know, uh, sometimes you'd do like little, little riffs or go, you know, like around here, whatever. You know. But that's the way it was recorded. Straight, I did so many demos at the record plant in the 70s. I would show up with my bass. I plug it into a Pultec, into either an SSL or a Neve. And there's the sound. Yeah. There, I'm getting the same sound as the guy from Steely Dan got. Yeah. I'm not saying that I play as well. Not even near, But <laughs> sonically, it sounded the same. Yeah. Because that's the way it was. you know. And then the uh, the synthesizers came in. And they took the level, the subs lower with the harmonics. I mean, they were beautiful, perfect harmonic designs. I mean, you could get as many harmonics on a synthesizer as you tuned them in. And I started playing bass synthesizer because, as a matter of fact, if you listen to Thunderbird, that's me playing a bass synth. uh, The first version of the Roland, I think, GR33 or something like that. It looked like a coffee table, and I got pictures to prove it too on stage with Quiet Riot from from that period. Oh, so you health.
0: actually played the and GR the the Roland GR? Did it have the stabilizer bar?
2: No, no, the one the one before. before it.
0: That okay, okay yeah. okay,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so, anyways, having to deal with the, with the low end. So now my basis, I prefer just to go passive with really good uh, punchy. The newly designed, uh, let's say Seymour Duncan's Okay. Because what happens is, I have some '60s and '59. I have '59P. What happened with magnets? They they lose their their strength, their magnetism. Right. You know, right. so they don't sound do not sound the same way as they did six, seventy years ago. Right. You know, sixty years ago, or for for '59 well, '62, '63 years ago. And, and, and being a vintage instrument, I don't want to change the pickups. So I kind of like what I do is I will use you know let's say something from two notes like a, a bass okay. for a driver or I might right. use a tech tech twenty one. See, I, it, it all depends on, on on the textures. You know, a tech twenty one bi. You know, okay. like this one. It all depends, or or I mean, I I got so many. I got boxes of that. And what I do is, just like I would in a studio with a producer or engineer, I, I audition everything yeah. and see how it sits yeah. emotionally with the rest of the frequencies, you know. And so it, it is really a process when I do that, no matter if it's with quiet Riot or or I get hired by uh, somebody I've never met from the other end of the world. that In Scandinavia, I, I do something and I just send it over to them. You
0: know. Yeah. It's funny yeah. throughout but, this. But whole... it,
2: it, 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 oh, sorry. Go ahead, please. Yeah. yeah it's just, I'm sorry. Just, yeah, Just, just to, you know, give you my, my complete thought about uh, the subs. So nowadays we're, we're going back to, or at least I am to passive instruments because it gives me more uh, diversity of tones. If I'm able to like use different, different pedals, with right. the same base, right? Because every time that you, you you stick an overdrive, like let's say I have a Specters, I you know I have, I've been playing Specter for a while. I, I don't know if you see my red one with the polka dots.
0: Oh yeah, I saw it on the I live just, thing. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah, yeah. I have a Coda here, another one. Oh, it's nice. Another Specter. Yeah, twenty-four fret, and uh, but I also play the uh, the NS the Euros Specters. But those come with preamps. And unless I'm looking for that particular sound that that bass is going to give you, it's kind of like playing a Hofner. Right, If you're looking exactly. for a yeah, yeah, tone, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And I got a Hofner too. Or if you're looking for a Rickenbacker, that's the tone. Yeah. You know, but uh, but I do find more diversity now with, some, with a tone that I might, that I hear in my head, but I, it's not specific to any instrument. Yeah, that you know that, that it's just a sound. Then that's what I start bringing out my my uh, my uh, preamps, my bass preamps, and overdrives and everything, and, and try to come as close as possible with it. Uh, but okay, so playing live on stage, the way that I deal with the subs, I have an Origin Effects uh, compressor. It's packed away with, with, with my, the gear that I take on the road. And uh, it's the Cali 76, and it has a high pass filter that I can actually regulate how much low end is going to pass through my signal.
0: That's fantastic.
2: So, it's, yeah, so if I hear the subs really, really making it impossible for me to play with clarity, because again. Right. The equipment that is designed for today's playing is for people that play the way they play today. Right. For example, rap music. Right. There's really no bass instrument playing rap. Right. Or unless there's a sample of the bass, but there's going to be low frequencies, either coming from a kick drum or some keyboard playing. You know what I mean? It's It's like a, it's a beat. It's part of a beat, it's not melodic.
1: Right, right. The music right. that
2: I play, because of the of the generation that it came from, there's a lot of movement on the bass guitar. Which I love because that's what I grew up. That that would that's my favorite type of music to play, melodic bass bass lines. And so I need more clarity. I need less of that rumble low end and more of the frequencies, almost mid range. Exactly, yeah. And so, and so with that pedal easily, I just dial it, dial it out. And sometimes I play in stages that there's no bottom end because they have to be cement. And the amplifier that showed up is in one of those rolling cases with foam. So right. there's no coupling right. with the ground. So you don't feel it. So then I just, I put all the bass back again on the uh, compressor pedal.
0: Oh, man, that's awesome. I'm going to recommend that. Comp- I wrote it down. I'm going to recommend it to our bass player that... Because uh, we oh, yeah. we have those uh, problems all it, the time.
2: It's, it's going to be the best compressor he's ever played through. Okay, I'll tell him. It's it's studio quality, studio quality. Yeah, Cali seventy six.
0: Cali seventy six. Uh, Rudy, let me ask you this. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, that's the model. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the brand is Origin Effects.
0: Okay. Effects. All right, I'll tell him. Um, are you are you guys? Is Quiet Riot coming to Austin or San Antonio anytime soon? Or have you guys already been through San Antonio? Uh,
2: no, I haven't played San Antonio. Since I played with the Guess Who at the uh, the World, the Old World, uh-huh. it was a place called the Theater.
0: Oh, that's in Austin, the One World Theater.
2: Yeah, One World Theater, yeah, in Austin. That's yeah, San Antonio. Uh, I can't. Uh, I think. It's been a while since the plane set, I played you. Antonio yeah and I love it there me too I love it there I love like i it's one of those very few places that I get to stay downtown and I do golf sightseeing
0: yeah I go walking around yeah.
2: and I love the ri- the, the river walk. walk. yeah me too yeah me too yeah. well I'd love I to love see you that. when you come yeah.
0: down i uh i I really appreciate your time and I really like I've really enjoyed this and i I've been a fan of yours for so long and just so uh just I'm just really glad we got to connect. I met you once. I sent you that picture today. I met you uh, like in 2014 or something at South by Southwest. And I was just like, I I don't think I even, I had the podcast then, but I was like, I was just too starstruck to say anything to ask you on at that point because I was just blown away.
2: Yeah, we were there for the showing of, it might have been the premiere of uh, the Higher Gun. Yeah, Higher Gun booth.
0: I think I think that's exactly right, but you were also playing with somebody because you had your bass in the photo, and I think it was somebody real weird like Kiefer Sutherland's son. No? Or Kiefer Sutherland? No,
2: no, I mean, no. I mean, we, in the uh, documentary, we did a jam session. Okay. We were playing with a lot of people. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah.
0: Either way. <laughs> it was a pleasure
2: to meet you in person. That might have been somebody else's bass that I was holding, yeah.
0: Oh, maybe you stole one. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, it's been great talking to you. And I really, I'm going to put you in touch with Victor. I'm going to send him your email.
2: Yeah, please do. Uh, where is he living? He lives in Miami. Miami. Yeah, yeah. Right. Do you ever right. get down there give, anymore? Give him my best. Well, now now that my mom is living with us, right. I just no need. I mean, I have some, you know, other relatives down there. But the main reason why I would go down to Miami mom. is to, uh, to visit my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Now, well, she's, now she's right next to it. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm really glad I'm really glad you're with her. And this has been a pleasure. I'm gonna put this up on Friday. I'll send you all the links and everything. And thanks again, man. This has been Thank great.
2: You, Thank you so much. Yeah. My
0: pleasure. Talk to you soon.
2: Bye-bye.
0: Bye Rudy. Bye bye. That was Rudy Sarzo. Rudy Sarzo. How awesome is that? I have a two-hour conversation with Rudy Sarzo that I can listen to anytime. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I want to thank him for doing the show. Also, gang, hey, he's playing this uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow at Rocklahoma Festival in Pryor, Oklahoma. Also Sunday, there'll be in Afton, Oklahoma. That's Sunday, uh, September 4th. Tomorrow night, a Rocklahoma Festival, uh, 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 September 3rd. Go to quietriot.band to find out when they're coming to a, a town near you. You can follow Rudy Sarzo wherever, wherever it is you find, uh, you find Rudy, like in the, on the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check out his radio show, Six Degrees of Sarzo, on Monsters of Rock Radio. Also, read his book, Off the Rails. Beautiful, beautiful book. I, I really want to thank I want to thank do for hooking this up and I really want to thank Rudy for uh, for doing the show and I want to thank you gang I want to thank you for listening to this show helping me make it to 1200 episodes. Thank you so so much uh, yeah I don't know what else to say. Thank you I hope you have a wonderful 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 weekend and uh, we'll be talking to you Monday. Let's get down.